Welcome to SLP Learning Series, a podcast series presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. The SLP Learning Series explores various topics of speech-language pathology. Each season dives deeper into a topic with a different host and guest who are leaders in the field. Some topics include stuttering, AAC, sports concussion, teletherapy, ethics, and more. Each episode has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com and is available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. Now, come along with us as we look closer into the many topics of speech-language pathology. Welcome to another episode of Making Sense of Mayo. My name is Maddie Metcalf, and I'll be your SpeechTherapyPD.com host for this podcast. Before we get started, we have a few items to alert you to. This episode is 60 minutes and will be offered for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. Dr. Marileda Catalin Tomei, PhD CCC SLP, will be our guest tonight. She'll share about myofunctional therapy in Brazil and about treatment planning for myofunctional therapy. Dr. Tomei's Financial disclosures include that she receives an honorarium for this podcast. Her non-financial dis- disclosures include her membership in the Brazilian Scientific Society, the Brazilian Myofunctional Therapy Association, and she is an ASHA member. For myself, I receive an honorarium for hosting this podcast, and I do not have any relevant non-financial disclosures. Marileda Tomei is a speech-language pathologist, supervisor, and professor at the School of Communication Sciences and Disorders. She graduated with her master's degree from the Federal University of Santa Maria, Brazil, and her PhD from the University of Sao Paulo. She worked as an assistant professor of the Speech Pathology and Audiology Department at Itaje Valley University, Brazil, for 19 years. Also, she ran her private practice, working mainly with clients with myofunctional disorders. Now, without further ado, I welcome Dr. Marileda Tomei. Hello. Hello. And I'm you said so- perfect. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> How are you doing this evening? Good. I'm so good. How are you? I'm good. So why don't we go ahead and get started? Can you tell us a little bit? So Brazil is really leading kind of the way in research for myofunctional disorders. And I would love if you could kind of share a little bit about how myofunctional disorders are perceived, the research going on, and that sort of thing in Brazil. Okay, yeah. So first, thank you for having me tonight to discuss a topic that I really love. So I've been working in this field for more than 20 years now. And in Brazil is one of the specializations that we have. Actually, we have 14 areas of specialization in myofunctional therapy was one of the first one that we kind of legalized in our Brazilian board. Since 1996, we are able to get a certification in this area. And over there, we can basically have a bachelor's degree. And and basically, you can go in a strict census where you do research and academic focus. Basically, you can have your master's degree or your PhD in this area, or in a lateral sense, so you will have clinical practicing focus, which is the specialization itself. So I went through all of those (laughs) paths and (laughs) I got my PhD back in 2006. 
And but since the graduation, I started my undergrad, I started doing research in this area and helping my professors and doing some practice in the dentist clinic in my university. Mm -hmm. And this is what led me to this area. And over there, you can actually do your specialization and take the certification after taking a certain amount of hours and practicing this area. And well, you can take a test. And, and after that, if you prove that you are able, you have your certification done. And that's specifically for myofunctional therapy? Yes, yes. Because I'm not oh. sure if you, if you know, but and the ones that are listening to this podcast, but in Brazil, we basically can do speech and audiology. We don't have this kind of separated area as you guys okay. have in the United States. So when we graduate, we can choose which area we can work with, but basically we can work with both speech and audiology. In my case, I chose to work with my functional therapy because I was doing this kind of work since my undergrad and publishing research in this area. So my first research that I did was in my functional therapy. So basically, I continued doing this kind of work through my master, my graduation, like mm -hmm. graduate school, master degree, and the PhD, where I worked with electromyography, mouth breathers, cleft palate clients, and so on. This is why I've been doing for a while. Yes, that's so awesome. Yeah, but over there, you can choose which of those 14 areas you decide to do your certification in. Oh, that's so interesting just hearing the different ways that, you know, you can get to be a practicing speech pathologist in a different country. And so interesting because with ASHA, we have like the big nine and you guys have the 14 areas. So that's also very interesting. And I love that myofunctional therapy specifically is one of those. Yes. Actually, I've been like out of the country for a while. I think they created like two or more areas of that you are able to get your certification in. But I didn't have the time to, you know, to search <laughs> about. So I'm not sure how in this like six mm -hmm. years that I'm here, this changed a little bit. But essentially, we have my function as one of the first areas since the creation of the law. Wow, that's so neat. So another thing that I find really interesting about Brazil is, isn't there a law that all babies have to be assessed for a tongue tie at birth? Yes, there is a federal law. So Dr. Roberta Martinelli is a well-known researcher in this area. And along with Dr. Irene Marquez, another amazing scientist in, that has a lot of studies in myofunctional therapy, they started a process of making this law, a project of law first in 2013, and back in 2014, the legislation accepted. And since there, we have this law where every baby needs to go through this evaluation In since they are born in the hospital, for instance. The first evaluation is this, what we call, I would say in Portuguese, tested a it's kind of tongue, like little mm -hmm. tongue test. And these speech-language pathologists are the huge, you know, I would say, representatives in this area and responsible for doing those tests. Oh, that is very, very neat. And again, I know that I kind of caught you off guard with this question, 
But would it be possible for you to share a little bit about why Brazil is leading in some of the myofunctional research or uh, can you just speak a little bit on the research that Brazil is doing on myofunctional therapy? Uh, Yes. Well, one of the reasons I think is because we have 11 research centers in our myofunctional therapy in the country. So basically related with university clinics. So we have centers in the north of the country, in the south of the country, and those across the country, actually. And those professors, those researchers, they are doing an amazing work since the specialization was set in 2019s, in the 90s years. It started with Professor Irene Marquezan. I think she was one of the biggest representatives of this area in our country. And she started doing research in lingual friendly and speech, like the relationship between them. And after that, Dr. Hilton Justino was one of the researchers that also added a lot of technology in this area. So today they are developing research using thermography, which measures the temperature of the skin while you are doing exercises, for instance. We have one important center that studies the base muscle activity with using electromyography. And not just those fancy, you know, evaluation, but also basic research that measures how the muscle works or how mouth breathers function in terms of response to the therapy. We have groups that develop a lot of works, like Professor Claudia de Felicio. She's a huge researcher in our country. Also, Dr. Serbian Kini. All those, res- I didn't name all of them. We have a lot of mm-hmm. good researchers, but they have been publishing a lot. For instance, Dr. Bianchini, she produces a lot of research in, in sleep apnea and the relationship with our myofunctional therapy and how this kind of therapy can help those clients. So we have a lot of publications uh, since the 90s, and especially in the last 10 years, they are publishing a lot regarding technology, the application of new technology to treat those kind of disorders and also to evaluate them. Research also related with protocols, evaluation protocols. So the MBGR is one of the protocols. AMIOF is another protocol. So those are protocols that I use today in my practice and I teach my students how to use them. And also research related with babies. There's a lot of, you know, across the lifespan. Oh my gosh, that is so neat. And I love that you kind of mentioned that it really kind of blew up in the 90s. Linda D'Onofrio was one of the first people on the Making Sense of Mile podcast. And she just really emphasized that research on myofunctional disorders is not new. So it's really nice just kind of hearing that reiterated across the series that, you know, even though it's kind of in the States, at least it's a little on the controversial side. People like to say, oh, it's just this new fad. Well, actually, it's not a new fad. It's It's been around. It's well-established. It's well-researched. And there's more research currently being done on it. So, and, and I would say it's even before the 90s. Mm-hmm. I mentioned the 90s because it's when we started having those schools. And of course, the publication improved a lot, the number of publication. But 
Unfortunately, some of the works are published in Portuguese, which is not a language that everybody has access to, mm -hmm. right? So, but in the last 10 years, as I said, a lot of journals from this country have received publications from the Latin America and, and especially from Brazil. And so if you search those names that I mentioned, you certainly will find, for instance, Giadi Berreting is another researcher from our country. She published a lot in terms of temporal mandibular dysfunction, also regarding issues with evaluation, like she published protocols in this area. So if you like Google those names, you'll certainly find work in English to read. Oh, excellent. Thank you for that. Well, with that, we'll kind of jump into our questions that we kind of discussed beforehand. So I think it's really interesting. So whenever I was looking up some of the research that you've done, a lot of it was on malocclusion and structure. Did that interest come out of your time in the dental office? Yes. <laughs> okay. I thought that was really interesting. I was like, hmm, I wonder if that's <laughs> how she kind of got there. So when I was an undergrad student, actually, I attended a conference at some point and I saw someone presenting a topic regarding electromyography. And so I found so interesting how the muscles and the musculature would have impact in how we produce sounds. And at that point, I think I read a chapter from Travis, which is like an old book. And I read about that and I was kind of like, it was my first or second year in undergrad. I was a sophomore maybe. So I kind of didn't understand what they were talking about, but I was interested in see how, wow, so it's not just us is kind of we can have relationship with other professions so I was trying to find something to research because that was kind of my desire to be a researcher since then so none of my professors could advise me at that point because they were so busy whatever and then I found a professor in the dentistry department that was <laughs> available to advise me and then I just asked him, oh, do you have any questions that I could help you to solve? And I, well, actually, I have. So some of my clients that have open bite, I found I find it so difficult to solve their problems. Sometimes we have relapses in this area. So do you think it's something related with the tongue? So I kind of didn't know exactly what he was talking about, but mm -hmm. I remember coming home with a bunch of books and you know that time was hard to find something online at least where I used to live so we need to pay a lot of money to get one article it's, not, it's kind mm -hmm. of different today but at that point was like it was so I had a hard time to find materials in Portuguese but I found a lot of materials in English because as you know, the uh, International or My Functional Association here is, I think it exists since the 70s. So I started this, you know, kind of digging the, the material, reading everything that I found at that point. And I wrote down a project, a research project, and that project was approved in my state. And I received found, like kind of, you know, found uh, to do the research. So we studied two groups of kids at that point. One of the groups were was treated with appliances. 
and the other group was treated with appliance plus or myofunctional therapies, like a, a set of sessions. And by the end of a certain period of time, we discovered that the group that was treated with myofunctional therapy had so many good results compared to the other group. So they basically closed the, fixed the occlusion, you know, and we saw these kids. I kind of don't remember because this work I published in 1990. It's kind of when the specialization was approved in Brazil. So I was an undergrad student still. And then it was interesting to find those results. And I just continued on that path, studying and analyzing how malocclusion especially have like this clinical implication on speech and this highly prevalence in childhood and adolescence that we know that there is in terms of malocclusion. How could I help my clients by adding this myofunctional treatment approach? Oh, that's so interesting. And I love that your passion for myofunctional therapy also kind of came out of this interdisciplinary collaboration because as I've learned in my own practice and through the numerous conversations I've had with professionals on this podcast, interdisciplinary care is key to the treatment of myofunctional disorders. And so I just think that's kind of beautiful um, that your interest in this area started out from that interdisciplinary collaboration. So can you explain how structural issues can impact speech in other oral functioning? Well, so we know that almost, uh, I would say, 90% of all consonants are performed in this region, right? In theater region. So we have this, those boundaries. And so in order to produce them in a correct way or in a like what we expect in terms of pronunciation, we need to have those bases like structural in terms of bone structure, in terms of muscular support. So to have the teeth in the correct position will help in this balance between those forces of the tongue and I would say labial, buccinator, all those muscles together will provide those boundaries that we need in order to produce, let's say, good phonemes or at least without distortion. Mm -hmm. What other oral functions can be impacted by malocclusion? Well, this is an interesting question because when I talk about myofunctional therapy, usually because we are talking with speech language pathologists, my students itself, they say, well, are you talking about speech? And it's not just about speech. So why we're talking about mastication? Why we're talking about swallowing and all those like different functions? Because they actually come together as a whole. For instance, if I expect that my client is able to pronunciate a certain sound, I will also expect that the same musculature will be involved in other functions like swallowing, like mastication. So this is why to consider aspects like occlusion classification or those overjet, those overbites or crowding, spacing, like crossbite, during our oral motor examination is so important because this will impact not just speech itself, which we were talking about, but also if the child is able, for instance, to do a bilateral mastication. So if we have a cross bite, 
it is expected that the brain will try to find the side that it has less work to do because we are trying to saving mm-hmm. energy and our brain will try to save energy. So it's important that we consider that we can fix this kind of stuff if we have the crossbite. So we will need to refer to someone else. This is why the interprofessional work is so important in order to have that fixed, and then we can do our work properly, or at least together. Mm -hmm. So the maxillary, the mandibular arts, those are directly involved in the production of certain sounds, but also in the way that we rest our tongue during the rest position, the way that we put our tongue to swallowing, so to swallow. So this is why we need to take those aspects in consideration. And when I treat a client in my functional therapy, the last thing that I would be worried is like, is there weakness or is there, I think there's no cookbook again, but mm-hmm. what I see the professionals are so, so much worried with the exercises itself. And myofunctional therapy is not about exercise. Exercise is just a, you know, something that you have to use. But actually, we are treating a function. And a function, that is a lot of things when you, that you need to take in consideration when to consider when you are treating a function itself. Oh, I love that so much. That is such a great way to look at myofunctional therapy. And you're so right. We're not just treating the strength of the lips, what the tongue is doing. We're, my end goal in myofunctional therapy is to treat the function of rest posture, to treat the function of bilateral rotary chewing, to make sure that they're collecting liquid appropriately, to work on placement of sound. Like that is what I'm working on. That is the function that I'm constantly striving for. Or I might use an exercise as a tool to get them there. But, oh, that is beautiful, Dr. Tomei. Thank you for that like little <laughs> nugget of wisdom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is one thing that I just lectured in this Orlando conference that I went, the Cures conference. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this conference, but the attendees were, I think some of them were speech-language pathologists working with myofunctional therapy. Some of them were hygienists, some of them dentists, PTs, whatever. So one thing that I talked was this kind of therapist mindset that we need to have. And I always say it isn't about the exercise itself. So it depends on knowing why the problem exists, understand the why behind the treatment, because we always have a why behind the treatment. Mm-hmm. So if my client requires like extrinsic exercise because the extrinsic musculature is failing or the intrinsic musculature, intrinsic tongue musculature, I'm talking about tongue itself, mm-hmm. requires intrinsic approach to the intrinsic musculature. So this requires clinical rationale behind treatment plan. So uh, this is why exercises are not taught in isolation and clinicians must use their assessment. And again, this is why protocols are such, they have a lot of importance because those assessment results will help us to create this customized treatment plan. And again, not all the clients need movement, like exercise, like mobility. Some of the clients actually will need to work with the tongue inside the mouth 
instead of mm-hmm. outside of the mouth. Because the intrinsic musculature requires more, like demands more for in terms of strength. And some of the clients, you will need to work with them. The tongue, I'm talking about tongue, but it could be lips or, you know, cheeks, whatever is the muscle that we are addressing. But if it's tongue, for instance, uh, some of the exercise will need to be outside of the mouth because the mobility is something that you also need to address with the strength piece. So depends on knowing possible solutions and when they may or not may be appropriate. And this is the therapist mindset that you need to have. So like functional exercises is basically the goal that we need to have. Why my client is doing this like left side repetition, mobility repetition, Where do I want to get with this kind of exercise? Or why my client isn't able to keep the breast position, the tongue breast position in the the roof of their mouth? Is there any reason that I need to fix first or or, so how they are breathing? So Mm -hmm. we need to do this rationale, this clinical rationale and put the pieces together. And this does not work, work for all of the clients. So this is why a individualized assessment is so important. I know you mentioned two protocols that you teach your students to use. Do you know if those are available in the States? And if so, what are they? Yes, they are. I think there are two that were published. One was published, the MBGR. Markison, Berrettin, G is from... I'm not sure, like Gonçalves, and well, it's the last name of each of the authors, MBGR. But today they have already one for newborns. They have for different ages now. They published some screenings also, and they were published. One of them at least was published in the International Ormiology Association Journal, and the other one, I'm not sure, Dr. Felicio Protocol is the, uh, it's A-M-I-O-F, AMIOF in Portuguese. AMIOF, there is a screening in this protocol. There is a protocol for elderlies. There is a protocol for, well, the baby one, I think, is the MGBR. But what was recently published for Dr. Medeiros is a PhD She's a, a research in the northwest of the country, and she just has a postdoc, and she published this with Dr. Berrettin. And I'm not sure where it's published. I think CODAS, but I can provide the bibliography, and you can just make it available for all that. That would be that fabulous. In. Yeah. I think I found the MBGR in the International Journal of Orofacial Myology. I think I found the AMIOF, but it is not in English. But I'll go ahead and share that into the chat just so everybody can yeah. look through it. Yeah. I'm not sure even if I can. I can share it, but I think I will. <laughs> Dr. Berrettin, she's coming and she will train some of the SLP that are interested in hair protocol, and it will be part of a PhD study, and they will come to my university here, the university where I work, and we will invite some of the speech language pathologists that are interested in being trained in this protocol as part of her research, so probably will not be costs involved with the training. 
and she will probably offer some CUs, whatever, and it will be next year. So we'll make the information available for all those that are interested in, but it will be a huge opportunity to be trained in this amazing protocol. It's a huge protocol, but yeah. I'm pretty sure that they are trying to summarize it and make it more like friendly in terms of clinical application, because for research, you know, we know that's kind of the way that we're doing research more, you know, methodological. You need to go through some path, like steps. But in clinical, sometimes it's kind of clinical practice. You need to summarize a little bit in order to see all the clients that you need to see in your caseload. Just kind of skimming through the MBGR, it is so comprehensive though. Like, I don't know, I think that studying this and kind of reviewing it and maybe going through this on a few evals that I do would be so enlightening just to kind of get me thinking about, you know, like one of the things that's kind of, I found really interesting on the chewing section is that it talks about the number of cycles. And so like how many times on the right side, how many times on the left side and kind of looking at not just do they have a rotary chew, but what like actually analyzing how effective the rotary chew is so it's really interesting i'm very excited too we have a weekly staff meeting and i am 100 gonna bust this bad boy out tomorrow <laughs> and both of the protocols the best thing i would say about them is that they have scores so by the end of the evaluation you can mm. say for sure if the client has a risk to have a myofunctional disorder and this is why makes like therapy easier to plan because it's not the same for everyone. It's not one size fits all. Mm -hmm. So by having those results, you can plan accordingly with what the client scored like less or, you know, more, whatever. And this validated evaluation with comparison data will make the individualized treatment plan much, much, much easier. That and it also... I feel like right now, the myofunctional program that I was trained in, it feels very subjective. And so I like this because it just seems like it's giving you more definitive information on where are they falling for kind of, it just feels a little bit more like it's moving towards that standardization, which I think will be really Mm -hmm. great for the assessment of myofunctional disorders. Yes. Are you taking advantage of our new amazing feature, the certificate tracker? The free CE tracker allows you to keep track of all of your CEUs, whether they are earned with us at speechtherapypd.com or through another provider. Simply upload your certificate to your registered account and you're all set. So come join the fastest growing CE provider, speechtherapypd.com. And I think also, Maddie, this is the near future path that we may follow in terms of research. Because, you know, the agencies, they will not pay us. (laughs) They Mm -hmm. will not give us, you know, money to do research if we we can prove that this is like, you know, this is the way that we need to do. Even in terms of reputability or in terms of dosage, dosage, (laughs) you know. Dosage. Dosage, yes. How many times do you need to repeat certain exercise Mm -hmm. or like duration, frequency, we need to prove in this area, unfortunately, still needs, you know, to show how much we can, we know from our therapy results, 
but we still need to prove in terms of, you know, validation, in terms of efficacy, if actually this is something that we can spread because mm -hmm. it's validated, it's objective, it's, you know, we need still to prove a lot of things in this area. Absolutely. And maybe this is some of the reasons some of the, the speech will find kind of subjective what we do because we miss this piece of research. I agree with what you're saying, but I do find it very hopeful that there is research like this happening though, because in, like I said, like it's a future like possibility that this is where it may go. But even with that being a possibility, I think it's really exciting. And like you said, it'll just provide more validity for this type of therapy, which would be just really beneficial. <laughs> yes, yes. So after you do your in-depth evaluation and you assess the myofunctional deficits in the jaw, tongue, lips, cheeks, their functional feeding and speech production skills, how do you begin to customize your treatment plan? Well, the first step... After evaluating and have this individualized data with scores where you can measure what needs more help, I think the first step of treatment is awareness. So I would spend a lot of time covering this awareness component of my treatment. Uh, doesn't matter if it's related with swallowing or with speech or chewing, mastication, whatever, I would make sure that my client knows why he or she is there and what is going on, okay? So we, of course, we can do a lot of different things. We can exercise to strengthen the muscles. So muscle building is part of the treatment. I'm not saying that it's not, if the client really needs it, but If the function is disordered, and usually it is a function disorder, for instance, if the tongue pushes forward every single time that you swallow, you will need to compensate it by working with these strength pieces, but also making the client aware that he or she is doing what they are doing. So I will spend a lot of time developing this perception about, for instance, let's say that it's a mouth breather, okay? So I will make the aware of their condition, will do the muscular training, they will need to learning about oral facial function, they will need to go over the process And sometimes my goal will be make them aware of those compensations while they are performing those oral facial functions disordered. So understand their condition by asking them some questions, by teaching them, because we need to teach them normal function physiology, of course, in a friendly language, in order for them to understand the consequences of this disorder that they are having. So develop this self-observation, this self-perception. I will use a lot of videos from themselves or from clients that that allowed me to show their videos because some of them, oh, I want to show myself, make to advocate for this because I changed a lot. So I want others, you know, mm. of course, attending all the hypercompliances and all the things. <laughs> But this perception, for instance, asking questions, how do you breathe? From where do you breathe? Because some of the clients, they will come uh, to therapy because they get the referral, but they don't know why they are there. Mm -hmm. 
So some of the clients, for instance, I use <laughs> and my students, they, I'm going to grab a material that I have here. So you guys that are listening will not be able to see, but basically I'm kind of, you know, covering my nose. So now. Dr. Yeah. Tomei, for those listening, just put some little cotton rolls in her nose to occlude her nasal passages. Yeah. And you can ask why she's doing this because <laughs> is it the opposite? Mm-hmm. So my kid came to learn how to use their nose and now she's covering the nose, like obstructing the passage. But some of my kids learn the results of this oral breathing, mouth breathing, just when I cover and ask them, what are you observing? And some of them will ask me, can I take this off of my nose? And say, no, wait, because this is the way that you breathe. Usually, Mm -hmm. so wait a little bit, stick over there and let's talk. So what are you feeling? Oh, my mouth is dry. Oh, yes, you're smiling. Okay. Oh, it's not, I'm getting nauseous about this. Like I can't, of course, because nobody has a hundred percent mouth breather, right? Breathing Mm -hmm. pattern. Kind of mix a little bit in those mouth breathers that have problem, they will have more oral, mouth breathing, then nose, but you still have a little bit of nose. Nobody's 100% obstructed. So after doing this exercise, I will ask them to make a report like, tell me, what did you feel? Because I can just come to the session and, and teach them, oh, do you know the role that your nose has? It's humidification, it's, you know, filter, it's filtering, it filters, humidifies, and warms the air. So, and I will be sure that my client will learn everything that I, it took me like years to learn in one session. That's impossible. But if he experiences this kind of stuff, of course, he will remind later, well, my mouth got dry. Why? And I will use a lot of, you know, simple tasks like you hold your lip now and breathe and, you know, inhale through your mouth and now touch the mucus and describe what are you feeling? Mm-hmm. And they will say, well, it's dry. So this is another way. I'm kind of creating different ways to make them aware. So mm-hmm. how do you breathe? From where do you breathe? So what are the nose functions? And then now that they experienced, they will say, oh, through my nose. Let's try through your nose. Put your, your finger and feel. Do you feel it dry? No. Why? It's not dry. Because it's different. The saliva has a different pH, you know, the the nose, like the the lubrification is different. So let's see this anatomic picture and let's see what do you have inside your nose? Oh, that is a lot of, the little kids will say, that is a lot of bumps and, you know, yeah. (laughs) What can you think about that? And some of my clients will draw and tell me, well, there's a lot of mountains, mountains. So why? So let's keep our hands like this and blow air through. (sighs) Do you feel any difference in terms of temperature? No. Do the same with your mouth. Mm, it's kind of cold. Now put your hands together and blow it again. 
oh, it's hot, it's warm. This is like your nose anatomy. It's like those mountains that you saw in this picture, this anatomic textbook, whatever picture mm -hmm. that you have. They have this like function to put things together and keep it together. And of course, we'll talk about circulation, like a vascularization of the nose. It's different. So this is what makes the air warmer, you know, in a way that you can breathe it. And through your mouth, can you feel the difference? And so they will say, yes, it's cold, whatever. So where is your tongue while you breathe? I never thought about that. So now you need to think and tell me. Or you can draw or you, you can use the puppet, you know, hand, like tongue and mouth and mm -hmm. put the tongue. Where is your tongue while you are breathing? So can we masticate and breathe at the same time? Those are weird questions that we never think about. But it is important because when they go home, they will tell their mom and dad What they did, because mom and dad will always, well, they are supposed to ask to what they are paying for, right? <laughs> so, what did you do? So, and they will, well, and my kids will come back and will say, you know, my dad keeps his mouth open all the time. <laughs> my teacher, you know, while I was in the cafeteria today, my best friend was like masticating like this with his mouth opened. So they can be a little bit nasty, you know. <laughs> But again, this is the narrative that will show me that my client is getting better and better in terms of awareness. So to answer your question with all of this narrative is to say, first step, And I just mentioned about breathing, but I could ask the same questions in terms of chewing, in terms of swallowing, is awareness. The same thing. How do you chew? What is the role of your tongue while you chew? Did your tongue move or not? Let me do it again. Let me try with this like texture, with this different. Is it the same chewing? When you are chewing like a cookie and when you are chewing an apple, is it the same movement that your tongue does? So which movement does the tongue do? So do you chew hard and soft food in the same way? So what is the position of your lips while you are chewing? So those are the questions that you can address, for instance, awareness regarding mastication. And you can create your own questions Or maybe your client needs more questions related with like open lip posture because mm -hmm. he's a mouth breather. And the other maybe needs more questions regarding tongue position because this is what you saw in your score, in your evaluation exam. And after this awareness that I will check every session, at least five minutes of my session. My session is around 40, 45 minutes. This is a private session. Mm -hmm. I know that a school district, you know, you have your own like 20 minutes, maybe like a group of kids. It's hard, but you can change around according to your needs. But necessarily every session you need to recall that kind of information regarding awareness in a different way to address this awareness, this conscious about how you function And this is so important. And the other part of the session, I will build, you know, this muscle work if it's necessary inside 
the application. I mean, I will basically apply to the function three, maximum two or three exercises. So I don't have a program done like I heard like some of my colleagues. Oh, I just know how to do my functional therapy by using 12 sessions. Why 12 sessions? Because it's a 12-week program. But is your client the same? Like, are your clients all the same? Do they have the same problems, the same thing to work with? So maybe your client just need four sessions, just or eight, or, you know. I know I'm not talking about the issues with third parties, you know, <laughs> insurance, mm -hmm. all the things I'm talking about ideal situation where the client will pay because it's a private service and I used to work in a private service. But I also saw clients and my like in the university outpatient clinic and we need to adapt it to this semester schedule. And we do this work in like basically eight sessions and sometimes the client will come to reevaluation in the next semester. It's different, but I think it's not the time frame. What matters here is your clinical rationale on how you do myofunctional therapy. It's not a exercise program. It's a functional modification. It's a functional addressing treatment. Mm -hmm. So I'm much more interested on working with lip strength by watching how my patient, my client too, and if he or she keeps her lips or his lips together while chewing, then give them a button like this. Sometimes I give, okay? So she's putting a button behind her. You go ahead and I'll just, I'll do a voiceover while you show us. She's biting her teeth together, putting a button in front of her teeth, and then it's attached to a string. And she's pulling it to the front and the sides. And then her lips are staying closed while she resists the pull that her hand is like giving to the button. And especially because we don't have evidence to prove how many repetitions we need to do. So, of course, with the advance of technology, I have in my lab, it's a MyoVos lab at Andrews University, we have ultrasonography, we have electromyography, we have equipment where we can measure tongue pressure, but the clinicians, the students that I'm teaching They will not buy all this equipment because they don't work in a research center. So I need to teach them how to use simple things. But if they have clinical rationale, they can apply this rationale using fancy stuff and using just their hands. And I like tongue depressor, gloves, of course, the equipments like basic things. So this is why I think this is the difference in between a list of exercise and a clinical rationale where you address function and not the muscle itself. You know, mm -hmm. the muscle strength is a result of how you function in your daily life. And this is also why it's so important to ask videos from home, to send videos home, to record your client, to record yourself maybe and share with them If they are not able to do it perfectly, you can record if you are, you know, kind of vulnerable to do this and record yourself or have some models that you can share with them. 
Because again, I know this because I work with these like 20 years, almost 30 years, but they don't. They are just learning a different thing. And again, out of their comfortable level, because they are like open mouth all time or part of the time. And they are comfortable in that way. They are comfortable sneezing and doing this because they have the allergies or they are comfortable by drooling. I will not say comfortable. They are kind of familiar, habituated. So we need to change things by proving that those things are not good for their quality of life. And then we need to address in different ways, starting with awareness, adding a couple of exercises, just the ones that you need and practicing just like by, you know, changing the way that they function. Oh man, just so much goodness in that description. Dr. Tomei, I love it. You're really kind of got my wheels turning in a little bit of a different way. And I've definitely been feeling this pull. So I was trained in a myofunctional program and it felt really limiting because it was just like, okay, well, I have these exercises and then I go through these exercises and well, man, they're still not doing the things that they're like the functional thing. And so I've definitely been feeling that pull in my practice to start focusing more on the functional deficits a lot sooner than what my program taught me. And so I don't know, it's just kind of really nice hearing that because it's not like I learned that in a course or anything. It was just kind of that like clinical intuition that kind of guided me there to do that. So it's really nice hearing somebody that's like actively participating in research, moving the myofunctional field forward, that that's kind of aligning with what you're finding in your research and your experience has kind of led you to. So that's so great. And I think that if there was a little bit more awareness that myofunctional therapy isn't just this cookbook of this 12 weeks where you go through this list of exercises and then boom, you're fixed in quotation marks. I think that it would be a little bit better accepted. So I love that it, while you're here on this podcast tonight, we're spreading awareness about that. <laughs> yeah. That's so great. The other thing I want to touch on, so is it the same in Brazil that myofunctional therapy is reserved for patients that have like the cognitive age of four years or older? Yeah, I would say you need to adapt everything that you do in speech, mm-hmm. right? You need to adapt. So I think it's the same conceptual framework that you need to have. And basically, of course, when you are talking like low cognitive clients, you will need to change things around and make sure that, of course, if you need to adapt some tools also, you will. And we have plenty of market Mm-hmm. <laughs> addressing that kind of stuff, utensils, materials, whatever. But in this case, I think more than for the pattern client that we, we may have in this area is have like the team, you know, addressing the same goals and make sure that you are doing the things that the PT does, for instance, for that client, and you are working, for instance, if the client leaves the PT session and goes to a functional session and you are not addressing the base of their feet, you are not doing the right work because you are basically forgetting the posture. Or the, of course, we do this with the clients that are like pattern clients, but make sure that you have the family with you and the team like so tied together mm-hmm. to help a client that is not able to maybe think for themselves all the time, at least consciously. So yeah, I had 
syndromic clients. I have clients right now with, I would say, juvenile Parkinson kind of motor problems. And we do the same work. But, you know, what I teach my students is how, and this is part of the metatherapy concept, metatherapy concept. I think they talk a lot in voice therapy about metatherapy concept, but also in language, if I'm not wrong, fluency also. But make sure that you have your client, and in this case, those low-cog clients, I would say the family, make sure that you have this time to conceptualize the ideas as the conversation between the clinician, the client, the client or the patient, whatever, guides the treatment. So in order to know better your client, you need to also know, in this case, the family. So who is the team? And make sure that you use all of your, you know, tools to help the client. It's not easy, I would say, I would say normal like this, right? In quotations. <laughs> in, in quotations, <laughs> because I don't like to use this word. Mm-hmm. That's the only one that come up now. It's coming up now. But you will need to address in different ways according to what you are seeing. And my clients, for instance... This client that I mentioned is a client that first day my student, graduate student, asked a specific food without knowing that that client can't have any kind of sugar in her diet. So that was a disruption in the beginning of the the, the session because mom believed that, well, when I'm not here, they will give sugar to her. And that will be a mess. So this is a simple thing that we need to take in consideration when we are taking history, the client history. But this is how the family will rely on our work. So if we ask a lot of questions, if we know what the client likes or like the client does not like, it's a good beginning, a good start point. I would never request a food that the client does not like because my session needs to be fun and needs to be, you know, the client needs to have pleasure because we are talking about this oral, you know, environment that is so, so private. Mm -hmm. So the way that we put our hands, the way that we touch the client, it's singular. You need to make sure that you have this concept of how to approach my client in the way that it's okay for him, for her. So I think I talked a lot about a lot of points oh, to answer your great. question. Yeah. But again, it's according to what each client needs. That was fabulous. Thank you so much, Dr. Tomei. We do have a couple of questions. So after well, this one's about the federal law on assessing every baby for a tongue tie, if a tongue tie is found, one, do they assess for functional deficits? And two, if there are functional deficits and a tongue tie present, do they release the tongue at that assessment? 
Well, there is a protocol also for infants that they have over there. So they will evaluate the baby and they will request a reevaluation in 30 days. So they have a protocol to follow in 30 mm-hmm. days, in six, in 45, six days. And then I'm not sure if it, it changed, but it was like that. And then they will check the need for surgery. And if there is need for release, they will request, at least in babes, they will request. And this, of course, will depend on how the baby is doing with breastfeeding, you know, also how the breastfeeding is impacting like mommy also in terms of, you know, structure like the, the, the breast, if there is some condition with the breast, whatever, uh, in terms of weight gain of the baby. There's a couple of factors that they analyzed together with the pediatrician. But if there is need to release, they will follow up with a pediatrician, someone that's able to do the release. It's important to mention that in our country, we have a public health system. So the families, they have the right to receive this evaluation and they will not pay for the release which is so different in this country, right? Mm -hmm. Where you guys need to have insurance, health plans, and the cost with the surgery is high. I think there is a huge thing going on right now because of this article that was published in New York Times. Yes, that was a very interesting article that was published in the New York Times. Yeah, so I need to read the answers that some of our colleagues addressed to the, the authors. I didn't even have the opportunity to read the original article. It's something that I need to do. But again, so we need to make sure who is evaluating the child, if this professional has a competency to do the evaluation. And one thing that Dr. Roberta Martinelli, again, I highly recommend to read what she writes because she's amazing and she teaches lovely what she does and how to fix, how to do therapy, sometimes how to like, don't touch the baby because you need to give the baby the time. There is a lot of surgeries that don't need to be done, you know, and so we need also to recognize. But uh, Professor Roberta Martinelli also mentions that it's important to make sure that the baby follows his path in terms of physiology, you know, and sometimes the baby will be able to compensate mild problems, sometimes not. But in terms of function and speech, we are the only professionals that have the competency to evaluate that. So there is a lot of, and she presents that, there is a lot of research done by other professionals. And this is not, you know, a criticism, but at the same time it is. They don't know about speech. And they talk, well, there is no influence in speech, whatever. We know about speech. We are able to put apart a fricative for, you know, a different sound. We know that the fricatives like lisping, anterior, lateral are not the same. And the implications are different in terms of treatment. We know how alveolar sounds are affected depending on how the tongue is attached or how the client is kind of compensate or not. Mm-hmm. I presented a case now at ASHA 
Asha's convention, like last November, I presented one of my cases and also one is from Professor Martinelli, Dr. Martinelli. And this lady, this little child, she was able to produce the R sound. That's not the problem. If someone else from a different area, like a pediatrician or a dentist, whatever, will like saw that client would say, well, she's producing the sound, but she's compensating because she was producing the sound just with the back portion, right? I think it was the right lateral back portion of her tongue. So the sound was kind of distorted, but she was producing the sound. That was not a problem. So, but who is listening that sound? If it was a speech language pathologist, for sure, that's not a good sound. And the problem is not now. The problem is not what we see now, but in the future, how this child will sleep with that kind of attachment. We'll have sleep apnea in 15 years from now, maybe, because we have an attachment making the tongue in a position, like resting in a position that's not properly. And the muscle is like, you know, aging in a position that will get less tense in years when she gets older or there is more fat, wherever she gains weight. We don't know how she masticate, for instance. If she's doing a lot of compensation, she will not masticate properly. And this kind of problem could be a, you know, gastroenterological problem in the future. So we have this lovely, I would say, work where we can prevent a lot of problems. So, because we have this knowledge. So, I think this is the beauty of my functional therapy, how we can avoid complex problems in the future by doing what we do. Oh, yes, absolutely. Well, I'm going to see if we have any questions that come in. The one other question we had throughout the conversation we had was if you could spell the names of the key researchers that you kind of talked about, would you be able to do that really quick? Yeah, maybe I can use the chat. Oh, that would be excellent. Absolutely. If you just make sure and change that little two button to everyone, and then everybody will be able to see them pop up. And as you put them in, I will spell them on audio for people who are just listening. Okay. Some of them. Well, one important is this one. Everything related with the speech. She produced a lot of work. She is the mother of oromyofunctional therapy in Brazil, Dr. Markazen, regarding uh, frenulum. Markazen is M-A-R-C-H-E-S-A-N, and then Irene Markazen. Okay, she's not working now, as right now she's retired, but what she produced is kind of a treasure, at least for the Brazilians, especially in Brazil. And she's well-known around the world. I was in France in the beginning of this year, and we were discussing in a panel, and everyone was mentioning her name. So the other name is, I'm not sure if it's double L, sorry, Roberta, but it's Dr. Roberta Martinelli. She's, she published a lot in terms of tongue tie and tethered tissues. Claudia Felicio, she published a lot in terms of, I have a lot of her books. She recently published a book, I don't have it here, well, those that are listening will not be able to. She published an amazing textbook. She also talks a lot about trauma, facial trauma, and all those mm-hmm. disorders. 
we have Berettine Felix that I hope she comes to visit me in my university, in my lab. Berettine Felix, Dr. Giadri, she's from University of Sao Paulo, Bauru, and she works with those protocols, evaluation, also swallowing. She also has worked with dysphagia. In this area of dysphagia, she published. She also got a, a recent award in this area. She was in the European Congress of Dysphagia. There is a Hilton Justino. Sometimes Silva is the first one, but sometimes the first one is Justino da Silva. So Silva, Justino, or Justino da Silva. He has a lot of work. And this is one important researcher, also Bianchini Esther. She does a lot of sleep apnea work. She recently published a work with her collaborators, her students, where she was advisor. I think she was advisor of from the works. And she published a work testing a bunch of exercises for sleep apnea. And she just found out that some of them are not a good exercise. So just take them out of your list. And the research showed this. Yeah, I think Mota, Andrea, she works with basic physiology of muscles. And I'm not sure how much she's publishing, but, well, some of the names are there. So I'm just going to run through this list really quick and spell them. So we have Marchesan, M-A-R-C-H-E-S-A-N. I for the first initial Martinelli M A R T I N E L L I first initial is R or Felicio F E L I C I O first initial C Baritin Felix B E R R E T I N hyphen F E L I X first initial G Justino da Silva J-U-S-T-I-N-O-D-A-S-I-L-V-A, first initial H, Bianchini, B-I-A-N-C-H-I-N-I, first initial E, and Mata, M-O-T-T-A, first initial A. So thank you so much for those researchers. I have them saved and can't wait to look up some of them. Dr. Tomei, you were the concluding guest to be on Making Sense of Mayo for this first season, and I can't think of a better way that we could have wrapped this up. I loved your emphasis on function and the myofunctional therapy, <laughs> and I don't know, I just, it was so great listening to you speak, sharing what Brazil is doing for myofunctional therapy, and your just emphasis on function just really hit home for me. I really enjoyed that. And I can't wait to go and look at my patients with like a new functional <laughs> lens on. So thank you so much for your time this evening. Yes. I thank you, man, for, you know, leading me in this task. <laughs> and we didn't have the opportunity to talk about the goals, but maybe another time. If you'd be willing, we would love to have you on for another episode. I think we might have a second season in the works. So <laughs> there yeah. might be some more to come. 
And I just want to say for everybody that's listening, thank you so much for tuning in. I recognize a lot of the same names every week. It's been so great getting to learn with you all. And I've thoroughly enjoyed hosting this podcast. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you, Dr. Tomei. I hope you have a wonderful evening. for joining us for today's course. To complete the course, you must log into your account and complete the quiz and the survey. If you have indicated that you are part of the ASHA registry and entered both your ASHA number and a complete mailing address in your account profile prior to course completion, we will submit earned CEUs to ASHA. Please allow one to two months from the completion date for your CEUs to reflect on your ASHA transcript. Please note that if this information is missing, we cannot submit to ASHA on your behalf. Thanks again for joining us. We hope to see you next time. Thanks for joining us at SLP Learning Series. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. If you like this and want to hear more, we are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Type the word SLP Learn for $20 off. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with the code. Visit speechtherapypd.com and start earning ASHA CEUs today.